CrossPolitik begins in three, two, one. Stop a heart that breaks for a dying city. Stop cursing your future. <laughs> Is not true. For all intents and purposes, I am a woman. No government, no political system has ultimate supremacy. Jesus is King of Kings, and it's about time our nation return in humble submission to His Lordship. You are not protecting women. You are authorizing the destruction of 500,000 little women every year. I didn't start it. Sir, sir, with all due respect, that's the argument of a five-year-old. I didn't start it. Right, when the Spirit comes upon people, they go to war. They go to battle, and the enemies of God are driven back, and they're slaughtered. You are listening to CrossPolitik with Gabe Wrench, the Waterboy, Pastor Toby Sumter, and the Chocolate Knox. Hey, y'all. Welcome to CrossPolitik yes. Special Edition. Uh, we are really grateful to have with us on the line this afternoon, Pastor Tabidi Anyawile. I think I did it. I think I, I think I nailed his name. I got uh, some help on the not, show not now. <laughs> <laughs> not too bad, he says. He's one of the pastors at Anacondia River Church. That's near Washington, D.C., is that yeah. right? Anacostia River Church, that's right. Anacostia River Church near Washington, D.C. He's an elder, has been an elder and pastor in churches in North Carolina, D.C., the Cayman Islands. Yaman. Yeah, <laughs> we're sorry after we're sorry a few right years now. after a few years of uh, uh of uh, as a, a muslim a practicing muslim tabidi was converted under the preaching of the gospel in the washington dc area he and his wife christy have three children he's also the author of several books including the life of god and the soul of the church the gospel for muslims what is a healthy church member mm. the decline of african-american theology and the faithful Preacher, he blogs regularly at the Front Porch and Pure Church, which is on the Gospel Coalition. Uh, welcome to the show, Tabidi. So great to have you. Hey, it's great to be with you, brothers. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, so uh, you've been having some fun lately uh, on your blog. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you're going to blog, you might as well have fun. Yeah, <laughs> amen, yeah, amen. We like this, we like this. So, so we wanna, I just want to jump right in, and um, I wanted to ask you a question um, that, that kicks off um, the whole conversation, um, a line from the post, I think, that got you into the most excitement recently, which was your post on Dr. King um, on the 50th anniversary of his assassination. And, um, and there was a line in there particular that I just wanted to I want to read that line, and then I wanted to read the line um, that began the following post the next day and then, and, then, and then frame a question for you. So the line was, I think this is one of the ones that, that lit everybody's hair on fire, um, was my white neighbors and Christian brethren can start by at least saying their parents and grandparents in this country are complicit in murdering a man who only preached love and justice. And then it was the following day in, in your post titled Admitting Things from April 5th, uh, you, you, wrote, you began the post this way. Yesterday, reflecting on the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King, I wrote that until white neighbors and Christians could admit he was murdered, italicized, and in parentheses, and didn't just die, that, and that his murder was the result of 1950s-60s white supremacy, racism, etc., we would not heal as we ought and make progress as we ought. And, and my question for you, um, Pastor Tabidi, is that in, in that in that first line, in the line that I read from the original post, uh, it seemed to me that there's a little bit of ambiguity, and particularly it's tied to the idea of sort of um, white neighbors, and then that word complicit, idea of you know sort of this this um skin color tied to complicity 
And so when you began your post the next day, um, uh, summarizing the issue, I guess that was one of the places where I, I was a little bit um, concerned and, and confused because my concern wasn't with admitting that he was murdered, which you emphasized there. It also wasn't concerned. I also wasn't concerned with the idea that um, that white supremacy and racism was behind the murder. Rather, the concern I had was this idea that somehow um, somebody, be, you know, having a certain skin tone, skin color, is tied into complicity. And I, I just wondered if you could just begin by uh, explaining what did you mean then by that sort of, you know, is there an inherent guilt then in being born white? In America, in relationship to MLK's death. Yeah, see, th- this is the kind of silliness you face when you start telling the truth about these things. <laughs> the problem begins with plucking one sentence out of the entire post. If you read that sentence in its context, I make a few things clear. So, number one, about two or three paragraphs before, I talk about the men standing on the balcony when King was uh, assassinated, figuratively, figuratively, pointing to the whole country. Then the piece moves through what is the ubiquitous racism of the country in everything from Jim Crow laws to kind of social expectations to the kind of mob violence that goes to the, the assassinate or the killing of an, an Emmett Till to the sort of chronic effects of racism illustrated by Dr. King having a 60-year-old man's heart even though he's 39. And I put very poignantly quote from King when he says to his wife after Kennedy is assassinated, this is what's going to happen to me. This society is sick. The very next sentence in the next paragraph, I think, I'm not looking at it currently, says this society is sick. And I, I spent a paragraph just sort of pointing to what I think are evidences of the sicknesses of 1950s, 60s America. Mm-hmm. So when I come down to the sentence in question, what I'm thinking there is not literally everybody's grandmother and grandfather pulled the trigger to kill uh, Dr. King. I, it, just, it wouldn't even enter my mind. I'm still thinking there about your grandmother's country, your, your grandfather's country. I'm still thinking there, as I say there, uh, about the society, the generation, as it were, which I think any fair reading of history would have to conclude is characterized, is marked by, in all of its laws and in all of its culture, racism. And so they're complicit in that racism insofar as they were, A, alive. Earlier in the post, I said, I'm, I'm not looking for people who weren't alive to be, uh, feel guilty about this, very mm-hmm. clearly. And, and I could have, you know, went on to say, probably should have went on to say, had I, had I anticipated this reaction, I'm also not talking about, you know, the Goodme, Cheney, and Schwartzes. I'm not, I'm not talking about those who are on the front lines protesting against um, racial injustice during the 50s and 60s. But I'm talking about those who are actively uh, complicit in, in racism itself, and those who are passively enjoying the benefits of that racial caste system in this country, and, and not, if they're Christians, doing what the Scripture calls us to do, to seek justice and to correct oppression. Mm-hmm. So I'm speaking there generally about the society, using grandmother, grandfather as, as kind of symbolic of the generation previous, or the gener- two generations previous to us, mm-hmm. And saying there, not that we have to repent for their sins, that's nowhere in the sentence, in the, in the, in the document. Mm-hmm. It's saying there we should admit, at least admit, at least say that these things were true of that period. And along the way, I said we need to say that lest it also have a hiding place in our own generation. But do, so do that's you think, the point of the post. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and, but what about that word complicit? I guess that's the word where I, got, I, got, yeah. I get hung up on it, is the word complicit. That, that's fine. 
That's fine. Uh, yeah, I th- I'm thinking they're complicit, not in the in the literal pulling of the trigger assassination of James L. Ray, but complicit in the sense that insofar as anyone participated in this racist society or turned a blind eye to the racism, so on and so forth, they made that assassination plausible, acceptable. Um, and it's not, a lot, it's not an isolated event. We could talk about the Mega Evers of the world. We could talk about the Emmett Tills. We could talk about a whole host of people killed for as little as supposedly looking at a white woman, in the case of Emmett Till, right. or trying to get the, the civil rights that should be guaranteed every citizen of this country, in the case of Ever, Evers or King, etc. Um, so those things don't happen independent of the context that breeds it. That's the point. So, uh, I, and, and, and so a lot of folks have culpability in that broader sense of, of either not resisting and challenging or actively complying with the racism of the society. Uh, and that's what I'm getting at in terms of complicity. So, I, I don't mean that your grandmother had some hand yeah. in shooting James Earl Ray. No. And I don't mean, as is scurrilously you know, written, that James Earl Ray is the federal head of white people. Yeah. Right, right. Well, to, to, that's what we disagree at. You know, uh, you get from folks, but yeah, uh, no. that's not at all what's there. I, I say very clearly, it's an Adamic sin. It's it's a hostility we've inherited from Adam. So I I I, I think one of the things that's lost in this discussion is actually your, to your last point, the the conversation around our covenant responsibilities um, as individuals, our covenant responsibilities as a church, and then our covenant responsibilities as a nation. In, in the sins of our nation, um, of, of what's happened in the past and what happened, what's happened currently. I, and I think one of the, to, at least to me, one of the discussions that's not happening, I think, very well is pulling this issue into the church, making the church um, uh, uh, more covenantly connected to the sins of our nation where they're taking responsibility first. You know, judgment begins in the house of God, um, right? And so just, I don't want to derail the conversation from racism, but how would you handle, how would you use maybe similar language to maybe cast the current sin of abortion on our nation in relationship to complicity? Does that question make sense? I think so. Let me, let me try to restate it um, the way I'm hearing it and then have you correct, it, correct me where I misunderstand you. You got it. Um, you, you're asking this question about, okay, it's one thing to look at uh, the society as a whole, it's another thing to talk about um, whether or not what's going on in society as a whole um, falls on the covenant community and, and their participation in it or complicity in it or their, we pray, distinction from it and um, resistance to it. Is, is, that, is that what you – and, and then how – and what analogs would we sort of make today? Is that what you're getting at? I would just add one um, additional clarification that each, each covenant – relationship carries different responsibilities in that you know our our civil government our, our covenant as a nation carries a different responsibility than the covenant as a church we have different expectations for the church and that covenant relationship with god and then of course as individuals we have um, different covenantal responsibilities in all this and <clears throat> and just to narrow in on your phrase complicity how do those covenant responsibilities and you can maybe just address it um, from the church's standpoint how does covenant responsibilities handle the sin of abortion in relationship to, to kind of how you've cast the um, r- r- sins of racism in the past on, on yeah. complicity. 
Is, is that that help? Yeah, great, great question. Okay. Great question. Because I do think there are many analogs. Um, he, here's how I would maybe put it in, in very broad terms, and then you can burrow down any place you'd like. Um, clearly, the church is to be distinct from the world, right? Amen. You see that yeah, yeah. throughout the scriptures. Uh, and we're meant to be distinct precisely because we are a covenant community related to God. And we're, we're known by his name. We're meant to sort of image forth um, true righteousness and holiness yeah. and knowledge because we're being renewed in the image of our creator in Christ. You're starting to sound like um, a Presbyterian. I'm sorry? You're starting to sound like a Presbyterian. Oh, man. Presbyterian, you know, broken clock is, is right twice a day. But, uh, I'm glad you understand that for Baptists. <laughs> sorry to throw so, you off. Keep going. So I would just start just, you know, fundamentally we're meant to be distinct, right? Yeah. And um, we're, and I think what, what we, when we talk about 1950s and 60s, uh, racism, uh, clearly the church is worldly. In, in, in that it has adopted the world's perspective on race and racial superiority and inferiority, so on and so on. So to the extent that many churches actually adopt constitutions that, that are segregationist constitutions, yeah, forbid yeah. black membership, forbid right. black yeah. baptism and, and communion. Right. Um, so I, I think, you know, we, we, and we're seeing churches, we saw churches then articulating so-called theological justifications for Segregation, not unlike the church in South Africa, supporting apartheid and so on. Right, right. Now, in God's grace, praise God, I do think, by and large, the church has come some way since 1950, 1960, so that even though I could say, in principle, um, if as God's people we're not opposing the injustice of abortion or the injustice of sex trafficking, then, then we, we look a whole lot like the church in the 1950s and 60s. Uh, I actually don't think that's quite the case. I think the church has learned a bit. Um, so that then we start to break down to not just thinking about the covenant community as a whole, but we can ask some finer questions about individuals or individual congregations and whether or not they figured out a way to bear faithful witness to Christ uh, on these issues in our day, or whether or not at those smaller levels they share in uh, what I would argue is some complicity in their silence, in their inactivity. Um, I just don't understand the Bible to allow us at an individual level as Christians or a corporate level in terms of our congregations or denominations. I just don't see the Bible. I don't understand the Bible allows us to sort of set aside Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 to speak up for the vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know, or yeah. Isaiah 117 to uh, seek justice, correct oppression, bring uh, justice to the, to the widow, uh, plead the orphan's cause. I, I just don't think Jesus allows us to set aside Matthew twenty three twenty three, where he chastises the Pharisees for being, you know, really particular in the tithing of mint and dill and cumin, while neglecting the weightier matters of the law, right. mercy and justice and steadfastness or faithfulness yeah. or love. Um, I mean, we're, we're just at the heart of God's commandments when we talk about loving our neighbor in this way, in this matter of justice and yeah. advocating for it. So if we're silent about abortion, then yes, I think to that extent we are complicit uh, in our silence. We're not necessarily actively operating a clinic in the same way that we're not pulling the trigger in James Earl Ray's Sure, place. sure. Yeah. But I, I just don't know an evangelical who, who would not think that uh, on the issue of abortion. That's right. Um, it's just curious to me that we don't think that way on the issue of racism. Yeah. Now, 
So I think even that, historically defined. No, that's and that's really helpful. And I, and I think there's uh, all the categories here. I think I'm comfortable with. It, you know, these there's particular churches, as you said, that that forbid um, uh, membership, baptism, communion to to our to to blacks. Uh, we had um, the same thing going on with the different laws in the cities, the blue laws. You know, the the black zoning church, zoning laws, black yeah, zoning yeah. laws, yeah. all right. this kind of stuff. So. Right. And all of that, I'm with you 110%, brother, saying, yeah. yes, where we've done that and where I'm, I'm connected to those people in some fashion. Now, you know, we had, uh, we interviewed, uh, Sean, Sean Lucas on here, um, mm-hmm. just a little while back and he was talking about his church. Yeah. Had segregation policies all the way up to 1983. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, right. <laughs> you know. Right. That's so, crazy. Right. So, Living yeah. memory. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, so I'm, I get it and I get it completely. And, and where I have that sort of that connection, I'm, I'm, I'm all in and saying, um, there's the complex, there's the complicity. Let's repent. Let's own it. Let's admit it. Amen. The, the one thing that just kind of just niggles at me a little bit is just the, I, I just want to be careful because I think I, I'm not sure that one of those biblical categories is the category of skin color. I think I see I see category of nation, I see category of of city, I see category of church, I see category of tribes and nations and families, but um, but I, I I'm I'm help me out in terms of seeing a category and and again I'm I'm fine with sort of even just the generalization that at a particular time and I think that's what you meant in your original post was just generally speaking there's a bunch of white folk doing bad stuff yeah and and I'm I'm actually okay with that. But the concern I have is again drawing sort of a line of complicity just because of the color of the skin. Well, brother, I, I think two things. Yeah. Um, get ready. Get, I just want you to know it's coming. I know. About yeah, to- yeah, yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> I heard the sigh in uh, Tabini's voice there. <laughs> that was my best poker face. <laughs> you, 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 you must always lose, bro. <laughs> so I think two things, brother. Um, number one, all sin is irrational. Yep. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Including racism. Amen. <laughs> so part of the irrationality of racism is it wants us to take for granted the false category of race based on skin color. What I think many people are slipping into that's unhelpful, I don't mean it's intentional, I just think they're unhelpfully slipping into this, is the notion that if you reject a category of race as unbiblical, as I do, then ipso facto, there's no such thing really as racism. Right. I, actually, I, that, I, I agree. Do, that I reject. And I agree with you I on that, brother. You, I agree with you on that. So, right. So, I, so the first thing I want to say is yeah, I, I hear the nub of your question, and I think maybe it depends upon an assumption that, that kind of forgets that sin is irrational. And the particular way that racism is irrational is it reifies in our thinking a false identity category. That's right. Uh, That's right. And, and, then it, and then it bases a whole punch, bunch of actions and thoughts and decisions and policies based upon that false category as if it were real. So part of what we have to reject is the irrationality of it without denying that it's acting irrationally, that's, that, that's, that it's actually doing that thing. That's really right? good. That's really good. Um, and so that, that would be the, the first thing I would want to say. Then the, then the second thing I would want to say then is I do think when we're talking about this, this, this issue, when we're talking about racism, um, it, it is, in my mind, a constellation of biblical sins. It is a cocktail of fear, of hatred, of pride, of partiality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. all systematically aimed at skin color. So that if you try to talk about racism without talking about what racism does with this false idea of race predicated upon skin color, you're no longer talking about racism. Yeah. 
So, so it's, t- it's like trying to say, you know, an adulterer. Well, we shouldn't talk about adultery. You know, adultery. We should sort of roll back and just talk about sex. Well, that, that's not really all that helpful no, because no, no, you know, no. if we're just talking generally about sex, then then we're missing, for example, the particular way in which adultery breaks a covenant. Right. It, the way it breaks particular promises made to God and made to a spouse yeah. and maybe particular relations with, with children. There's a particularity that adultery carries with it that, that say, um, fornication doesn't. Because another sexual sin. Or homosexuality doesn't. There's another yeah. kind of particularity. Yeah. And so this avoidance of the particularity, I find really quite unhelpful because in avoiding the particularity, we're starting to describe something that that really isn't the thing called racism. And so I would just want to say it's irrational, but it's irrational in particular ways. And and we're just sort of being honest if if we are talking about the ways in which it's irrational Uh, in those particular ways. And and then the last thing I would say really quickly, and if we're talking about this as a matter of historical record, but I, I just think it's incontrovertible that in general, white people express this particular sin toward black people. Right. So, you know, there's sometimes this sort of push on me to sort of say both sides, both sides, both sides. But there's never been a time in history where black people have 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 passed not, say, Jim Crow, but James Brown laws. (laughs) There's never been a time where black people (laughs) have have drug people out of their beds and burned crosses in their yards. There's never been a time where black people have systematically uh, written written things into law from everything from sort of lending regulations to voting rights restrictions. No, but they're um, trying now, though, bro. (laughs) There's a historical particularity that's being addressed here. Um, And I think we we do the history and we do the truth a bad service if if we simply don't acknowledge that. No, I I think if the church doesn't get a handle on this, the way things are going, the complete opposite of what it used to be. You know, if we don't Mm -hmm. grasp this, I think we're actually going that way. Uh, I haven't said anything. I've been trying to quiet, letting you guys have your white privilege of talking to me for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to interrupt here. Okay. <laughs> so first thing I want to say, man, is first, thank you for doing this. Thank you for coming on the show and talking to us. There are so many brothers who I respect who will not come and talk yeah, to us. That's true. And so I just want to say and thank you and give you encouragement. Don't stop, man. Yeah, I know absolutely. it's tough out there. I know that you get yeah. flack from doing it. And I know that a lot of people don't like it who are in your camp talking to people on the other side of the aisle. Yeah. But I want to encourage you to continue you do it because it's a helpful thing to the body brother Amen. so thank you yes yeah well two two quick things man number one i ain't scared of y'all <laughs> <laughs> bring it bro, bro. <laughs> and number two and number two you know something that set me free man actually uh the, you got some people might gasp at this but one of the one of the dear friendships that sort of uh cropped up providentially for me over the last several months is just a twitter online friendship with beth moore and huh. Beth said something that set me free. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love Beth. Beth said something that set me free. She said, you know what? When I realized that people didn't want me to be better but wanted me to stop, then I was set free. Yeah. Uh. And so when I realized that some of the voices that have pushed back, some of them have been very, um, very sincere and very sure. um, yeah. um, useful. But when I realized some of the most strident voices are people who just want you to quit, not be better, well, you know what? I, I feel all kinds of freedom to say yeah. what I think is true before the Lord, and yeah. I pray yeah. that it serves the church. And I, I appreciate encouragements like the one you just gave me. Well, well now I want to ask you some hard questions, which is, now that we all yeah. on the same page about this, is, okay, a brother is seeing this situation, he's repented of it, and we're all hitting the reset button in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now what? 
when you talk about injustices now that need to be looked at, that we need to move forward on, what are the things that you see that the church needs to be engaging with? Because I think when it, when the rubber meets the road, that's really where we were trying to go to, where we're trying to get to. And part of what I saw in your article was like, we're not going to get here if we can't even establish this back there. Right. Yep. So yep. I want to move forward and say, what does it look like now uh, for the church to be engaged after saying, OK, we agree with you on this and we, we, we don't want to be complicit in our culture's sin. Right. So where is it that you right. say the church needs to attack it? And what are those things that we need to do? Well, this is where I think it, it connects to the earlier question about our, our sort of levels of responsibility or our particular callings. Okay. Uh, so the first thing I think a person needs to do is just think about the lanes that the Lord allows them to run in as a, as a husband or father, uh, in their particular vocation, uh, in their particular neighborhood. Uh, and I do use a metaphor that I use with the church here. Um, I, I just want to say to folks, okay, listen, uh, getting involved in this justice thing, there, there's sort of two lanes. Uh, you've got on the beltway around D.C., you've what's got, got called what's through lanes. Yep. And those are the lanes where you're not, you're not getting off in any local traffic. You're just bypassing the city, just trying to get further north or south, whichever way you're going. But you're, you're not stopping on the issue. And then you've got local lanes. And so you get on those outside local lanes because you're trying to take an exit and get into congestion. Mm-hmm. And I say to folks, look, you've got to figure out which justice issues are your through lanes, meaning you don't really have any platform, any proximity, any opportunity to be anything more than just aware of those issues and hopefully educated about them. Mm. And then you've got to pick a couple of um, sort of uh, local lanes. These are the places where you're going to get into congestion. Mm-hmm. And these make sense for you because they make contact with you in oh, your calling right. as mm-hmm. a husband or a father, as um, your, your particular vocation, and so on. So it's going to look different um, for, you know, as, as many people as the Lord has in our churches. I expect it to look different, and we want a thousand flowers to bloom. Uh, but to flesh it out, just by way of illustration, I think of a single sister in our church named Jamie. She's a school teacher. Uh, here in the inner city, has chosen to be in the inner city, has chosen to live in the neighborhood. She's white. She's living in a neighborhood that's 92% African-American. Uh, and because she's in the corridors of schools all the time, that's a, that's a heavy burden and passion for her. And because she loves the students, that's where she looks to get involved. So not only does she teach, uh, and so her whole vocation in one sense is entering into the brokenness of inner city public education, mm-hmm. but she also teeters, tutors at after school program. And uh, she's also involved in helping to educate our church about some of the educational issues here in our neighborhood. And so we have to bear witness where we live, and Jamie's a really good example of that. Uh, And not only is she doing those kinds of activist things, for lack of a better word, uh, but she's also a dear sister in making relationships, friendships with people not like her. And that's really where the rubber meets the road, is if if we can admit the historical past, what are we going to do in the the, the sort of contemporary um, time to sort of know people, build relationships, change the fabric of our social lives, and contribute meaningfully in the lanes that the Lord gives us to run in. So it, it so, it, so it's not one size fit all. That's, by I, any means. that's like, really helpful. Yeah, I like those those categories. Um, so it seems to me, kind of on uh, uh, teeing off Knox's question, that to kind of keep pushing the gospel ball down the down the hill, to keep kind of. Um, making headway on this issue, it feels like the last couple years there's been a lot of cyclic, cyclical dialogue on the h- issue of race in the church, and I haven't felt like that conversation has kind of moved forward. And um, I think one of the, um, I and I don't want to take away from any of our sins in the past, so don't take this wrongly, but 
I feel like part of the problem is is that we're almost a little more passionate about the sins of our past than the current sins that's right before us. And and mm. and then you can say amen on that one. I know you believe that to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, I, yeah, maybe. I mean, we we all. I mean, I, I think every generation is living in its blind spots, right? Uh, so I think that that contributes to it. You, you hear the question asked, "What will a generation fifty years later say we missed?" Yeah. It's a useful question, but it's hard to answer because we're missing it. The problem with our blind spots is you don't see what's in it. Well, yeah, um, and, see, I, and, I, and it's also why we need conversations like this and what yeah. you guys do uh, on the podcast. So I, I think there's some, I think there's some truth to that. Um, I think it's easier to look backwards as historians and and see things and diagnose things than it is to look at our moving moment yeah. uh, and get everything right. What, what if um, I, what if I frame a question this way a little bit? I, I'm. Uh, I'm curious maybe how you think about this. So um, one of the things that I'm, I've got a lot of concern for is, um, you know, you talked about worldliness in the 50s and 60s. And again, um, we're with you uh, and, and completely agree that, man, the church was worldly. It was it was it was compromised and and far more than people want and, to and, realize. It needs to be repented yeah. of. Uh-huh. Absolutely. A- amen. My, so then but again to the present, how are we worldly? How are we complicit? One of the concerns mm-hmm. I have is that um, right now in this cultural moment, the world has um, has given us permission to speak about the sin of racism. Now, I believe that racism is a sin. And, God, as, and know, as a pastor, you got you got to yeah, preach on it. And, and yep. God, God says it's a sin, and so it's a sin. And any kind of racial vainglory, pride, hubris, um, all the rest of it is a sin. It is a sin. But one of the concerns I have, though, is that we live in a culture um, that is as sort of um, um, it, it is it is weaponizing every form of victimhood. It's it's weaponizing every form of victimhood, and so anybody that can claim to be a victim then is is part of this you know big uh, you know power play basically. And so homosexuals are at the front of it, the tra- transgenders, um, and so on. And of course, and so Christians are caught in the you know the middle of this where we have to make distinctions. Between okay, that's a sin uh, this direction, and that's a sin that direction. Um, how how do you give counsel to people in the middle of this culture, in the middle of this world? Um, how can we address the sins that need addressing without getting caught in the machinery of the current world's? You know, um, they're they're weaponizing a victimhood, permission based. Yeah. Does yeah. That, does, well, that make question, I, does that make I, sense? I just don't think we should be taking our cues from the world. So, oh, amen. <laughs> so when you when you when you say uh, the world has given us permission to talk about race, um, I I don't feel like I need that permission or ever needed that permission, <laughs> um, you know, or or ever felt like, ooh, this is kind of a popular topic right now. Let's talk about it. If anything, I'm well aware. That the moment I talk about it, there's there's going to be a vocal minority um, that that try to come at you, boy. And um, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm not I, I don't I don't I just I think we would all agree we don't want to be taking our cues from the world. Yeah. And part of what that means is pre- precisely what you alluded to in your question. Part of what that means is we, we're going to have to be careful with some categories um, in ways that the world won't be, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll have to make some, some distinctions, really clear yeah. statements mm-hmm. about biblically defined mm-hmm. what we think is justice and what we think is an injustice, mm-hmm. even if it's done in the name of justice, right? Mm-hmm. So anything, yeah. for example, that would harden a person's conscience in the sin of homosexuality, like support for gay marriage, as an example, um, 
that that might be sort of fought for in the name of justice, but I would argue that that's the worst kind of injustice Amen. because it, it potentially hardens a person before the God with whom they have to deal at the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that won't be popular in the world. So yeah. that, I think part of the answer is, is in how you frame the question itself. Yeah. We've got to be people who are fairly careful with categories and we'll have to sort of give some definitions that that won't be popular yeah. uh, in the world's in the world's eyes. Yeah. I appreciate I that. I think, man, the other part of what I'd want to say is say it, brother. If I think about the evangelical church, I do not think that its um, propensity is to act too rashly. I think its greater tendency is to be too lethargic. Hmm. Um, and so I don't, I don't, when I look at the evangelical church, I don't see a lot of people who are just out half cocked, running wild, doing things without careful reflection. I see a lot of people who seem to me, and this may just be a function of, of my social media feed, but I see a lot of people <laughs> oh, wow. who, to me, uh, who, be, who are reasoning in ways that seem to justify inaction. So, so when I talk about racism, for example, if somebody doesn't like the way I've used the term, you know what I don't see? Only once in, in, this, in, this, in this exchange over the last couple of weeks, and that was, I think, in part as a consequence of some private back and forth we have. Only once have I seen someone say, okay, I don't, I don't like the way he talked about it there, but let me offer a definition. <laughs> yeah. What, 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 yeah. You know, something constructive and positive. What more often ha- most often happens is, I don't like that, and you should stop that, and a whole bunch of questions that seem to me to be essentially evasive yeah. and, and, and exculpatory, meant to sort of excuse the person from actually saying, no, you know what, let me lay hold to what I do think is true here, and let me yeah, act right. better than I think this brother acted. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously, for a I, definition or some action. Obviously, so I, not, I think our problem is, is lethargic. Um, a lethargic tendency. I appreciate that. An overly active tendency. I, I appreciate that. You, you need Thank to listen you. to more cross politics, and then you know that, oh, those guys <laughs> do that over there. Uh, <laughs> hey, brother, I just want to say thank you again. All right, I'm putting y'all on my, on my podcast list. There right. we go. Hey, hey, we got hey. a listener. Thank you so much, Tabidi. We really yeah. appreciate your time. Hey, yeah. Absolutely, brother. And I feel like we just got started with this conversation, so I'd love for you to come back on other times and let's keep working through this because yeah. I, I think that we need to have more channels like this where we're talking about this, where we disagree it, and how to push this ball of the gospel down the road. So, once again, brother, well, thank I would, you. I would love to join you guys again. Thank you all for taking it easy on me for my first time. Next time, you all be sharpening your knives and come at you, boy. All right? <laughs> hey, God bless you, God brother. God bless you, brother. God bless you guys, Until man. next week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics.